This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Salt Air Amusement Park. You know you can't resist the Salt Air Amusement Park. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, 1962's Carnival of Souls and 2010's Closed for the Season. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Slash cards. Slash cards. Show me what you got. True or false? False. One of the puppets in 1989's Puppet Master. What the fuck? How do you always get these cards? Vomits slugs into its victim's mouth. False. It's leeches and it's on the body. Um, if they say true, they're wrong. It says true. They're wrong. It's specifically leeches. It's sucking blood. I am right. They're wrong. We just saw this movie. <laughs> Listeners, you know I'm right. <laughs> do they ever put facts on there that are false? <laughs> I do not know. It's like they did it from memory. Come on now, guys. Kelsey. Yes. Horror can show up in unexpected places. Like the Heffalumps and Woozles nightmare from this 1968 Disney cartoon. And the adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Wrong. Is it just Winnie the Pooh? Nope. What is it? Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. Oh, screw you. <laughs> the Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. It's the TV show. And, no, isn't that the name of the collection, the movie? That Probably. In that includes Blustery Day in it? I don't know. I'll look it up and I'll edit this out if it's not. <laughs> so if you're hearing this, it is. <laughs> it's the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, but close enough. I'll count it. I'll give it to you. <laughs> Thanks. All right, Kelsey. On to 1962's Carnival of Souls, written by John Clifford, directed by Herc Harvey, and starring Candace Hillegas, Francis Feist, and Sidney Berger. Kelsey, what is Carnival of Souls about? A female organist? Yep. Gets a new job? And drives by a, as, as an organist. <laughs> and, and drives by a carnival that she becomes obsessed with, and she starts seeing shit. This movie is available pretty much everywhere. You can rent or buy it. Uh, it's free on a couple different services. The problem is that it has been chopped up so much for many different reasons that it's hard to know which one's the right one. And so there's an 80-something minute version. That's the one that you should probably watch. And it is in black and white. Uh, so don't watch the colorized version. It's very weird. It's also the shorter version, too. <laughs> but you can get it for free on YouTube. There's many, many different versions. Because just like Night of the Living Dead, when it was released in theaters in America, it didn't have the copyright information. According... To American copyright law at the time, that meant it was public domain. 
So this movie got stole a bunch in the United States. They fixed it when they went overseas, though. So should people watch it or not? Here, I'm really curious to see what your response is on this. I think if you're into historical horror, if you're interested in where ideas came from and things that tried new stuff uh, that we now see as normal. Yeah. Absolutely. There was an article in Entertainment Weekly when Insidious came out that talked briefly about its influences, but focused on how visually Insidious took a lot from Carnival of Souls. So it's not obvious. I can see it. It's not, it's not like right on the surface, but like all the dead people in Insidious, they look like the ghouls in Carnival of Souls. Yeah. Um, that's really the main focus is that visual style. It comes from this movie. Mm-hmm. But you think, yeah, if people are interested in, like, in the history of horror? Yeah, and if you like psychological drama, I mean, psychological horror, I think this is great. Yeah, it it, it is a psychological horror movie. It's more about her dwindling psyche than anything else. Mm-hmm. So you can go ahead and watch the movie or don't, but when we get back, we will talk about 1962's Carnival of Souls. Action you've never seen. Races across your screen as you thrill to a new dimension in picture making. Carnival of Souls. This is the shocking story of a who crawled from the river to race through a nightmare, walking a tightrope between heaven and hell. From the unreal, she crashes through to reality. But try as she will to lead a normal life, she is torn from a goal. There's no privacy in her life. She's ever watched, tormented. Either it's her neighbor, desirous of her physically, watching her with his leering eye, or it's the evil eye of the man, the man who taunts her, the man who wants her. She is a girl-driven man by the relentless forces of the beyond. He will not relent as he comes for her again and again. She whirls between the real and the unreal, trying to cling to life. But she must watch herself in death. She must dance at the Carnival of Souls held just for her. For they have come for her for the last time, claiming her as one of their own. Carnival of Souls arouses such emotion that the management has been forced to state positively no refunds. Carnival of Souls is the shocker of all time. Guaranteed to sweep you into a new dimension of picture making. You can't afford to miss Carnival of Souls. All right, Kelsey, let's talk about what actually happens in Carnival of Souls. So we start out, it starts really abruptly. I wonder if perhaps that's not how the movie was supposed to start. But it starts in the middle of a conversation. Um, kind of. It's a car is at a stoplight and then another car pulls up and immediately starts talking. Hey, want to drag? And like, you're like, whoa, wait, what just happened here? There's no <laughs> establishing shot. Or if there is, it's very short. I can't remember. There isn't. Yeah. It just starts immediately. Hey, you want to drag? Hey, Joe, drag your foot, boy. Look what we got here. Hey, you want to drag, huh? So we have a car full of uh, three young women mm-hmm. and then a car full of, like, two or three young men. And they challenge the, the young women to a drag race. And the driver's like, oh, fuck that. I'll show them. Yeah. And they get on this rickety bridge. And it almost seems like the guys were trying to push them off the bridge. They kept, like, veering. They were crowding them is what they were doing. And that is supposed to intimidate you 
in order to like have you pull back. And this woman who was driving is like, no, I'm not going to let them intimidate me. She had something to prove. And so she didn't. And instead of pulling back, they crowded each other. And then he went too far. And then she just went right off the bridge. Yeah. And into the water. And the car fucking disappears. Mm -hmm. Interesting fact, the city did not charge them to film on that bridge. They only had to pay for the repairs to the side rail, which amounted to like 30-something bucks. Nice. Yeah. I just thought that was pretty interesting. <laughs> Driving a car off a bridge was pretty cheap. <laughs> so then, yeah, they can't find the car. They can't find the women. They're trawling the, the river, mm-hmm. which is really weird. I, like, I've never seen this in any other movie aside from this, where obviously they don't have machinery to, to drag along the bottom of the riverbed. So instead, it's just dudes with, like, hooks on ropes, just, like, throwing it into the into the water and and hoping that it snags something. Yeah, and they're like, oh, it's been three hours. We obviously shouldn't have any hope. And then, miraculously, one of the, the girls pops up out of the water. So I actually wrote, was she supposed to have been in the water for three hours? It's the implication, yes. <laughs> I, I also wrote because we kind of we kind of passed this and I want to make sure we mention it after the car goes into the water. But before we the three hours pass, we get the title sequence. And I thought it was a really inventive title sequence where we just get shots of the of the river water rushing by and logs and stuff like that. I wouldn't on the say side. rushing. I'd say it's a pretty serene Look. Right, okay, yeah, but I mean, it's moving at a pretty good clip, but it's very, like, it's not whitewater or anything like that. It's very flat, but the water's moving, and the titles are aligned with various elements in the shot, mm-hmm. like branches on a log and stuff like that, and I thought that that was pretty inventive, especially for uh, 1962, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also wrote that down. I was like, very 60s font. And the music was very creepy. Yeah, I think it sets up the idea that this is supposed to be, you know, this isn't about being scared. It's about, you know, watching something interesting, I think, more than anything. This movie uh, is littered with odd cutscenes. Yeah. Where, like, someone will point and they'll look and it'll be the next shot. Yeah. Or, like... I don't know, they'll close up on something, and then when they zoom out, you're in a new shot. Do you know what I mean? No, I don't know what you mean. Oh, well, they did it very uh, a bunch of times in this. Anyway, her, she's apparently this fantastic organist. Like, when she plays, everyone in the town stops to listen and smile. Yeah, so the next thing we get, is, I mean, she doesn't remember the accident. and Which is good for the dudes, because they were saying to the police earlier... About how, no, we were just driving on the bridge and she came up alongside and she must have lost control. You know, obviously trying to absolve themselves of guilt. Mm-hmm. But uh, she doesn't mention anything because she doesn't remember anything. And the next shot we get, she's playing the organ. Do you know where she is? In a church. No, she's in an organ factory. Is she really? Yes, it's an organ factory and she happens to be a spectacular organist so the organ dude who runs the organ factory basically gets her a job at a church playing the organ and she's like great love the organ don't give a rat's ass about church yeah 
And he's like, stop by and see us next time you're in. And her response is, as she's walking out the door, she turns and says, thank you, but I'm never coming back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's a very blunt person. Uh, She doesn't like people. She's very secluded. She She just wants to be left alone. Right. And as she's driving to this new town to become the organist at the church, we get the first instance of what's referred to as the man. Ah. And this is kind of a recurring motif throughout the movie. I don't remember if it continues throughout the whole thing, but she sees herself in a reflection and then her reflection becomes the man. And I think that happens like twice. At least. It happens multiple times. Oh. It's not just in the reflection of the car window or in the reflection of a mirror, but also the reflection of water. And there's a lot of reflection in this. And the guy is, he has like a white face and he has this eyeliner in black and eyeshadow all around his eyes. And he looks really intense. I fucking love this dude. He's so awesome. And He reminded me of... Beetlejuice, except that his eyes are, like, black, as opposed to Beetlejuice's eyes being green. Right. And he doesn't have all the shit coming off the side of his mouth or around right. his scalp. Right, but otherwise, but, I thought he looked yeah. a lot like him. That man is Herc Harvey, the director. Yep. I thought that that was pretty interesting. As did I. Uh, yeah, but I thought he was fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> so she ends up finding this, this, this uh, place to live. With a landlady and one other man. And this landlady, what do you think of the landlady? She was funny. She's a little nuts. She's, yeah, she's a little odd. She's, oddball. Our character, Mary, mentioned something about how she's thankful that she can, that the landlady will let her take a bath whenever she wants. And the landlady's response is something to the effect of, oh, I ain't one to make a fuss about something like that. About such things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty funny. I'll be taking one of those baths you're so generous with. Well, take as many as you want. I ain't one to make a fuss about a thing like that. <sighs> really fucking weird. Yeah, she keeps telling her, take as many baths as you want. It's almost like she's, like, watching through the window. Like... <laughs> Right. (laughs) Also, throughout the entire film, Mary just seems extremely bewildered. Yeah. (laughs) Like, her eyes are always huge, and she always just looks very confused. (laughs) So, up to this point, on her way there, she sees the man. I realize I skipped ahead. And then she sees him in front of her on the road, and she swerves to miss him Mm -hmm. and runs off the road, but she's able to get out of it. And then she goes to a gas station because she she was looking, as she was looking out the window at the reflection, she was looking at what appeared to be a fair of some sort, a, a pavilion, right, basically, in the middle of, like, some shallow water, some salt flats or something like that. It's in Utah. Yes. And she talks to the gas station attendant, and the gas station is like, well, it was a bathhouse at first. And then when the water level lowered, they turned it into a pavilion like a dance hall. Uh, and then eventually the whole thing became a carnival, and then eventually it shut down. Mm-hmm. And she, so now we know the history of this pavilion that she saw out in the middle of fucking nowhere while she was driving. But she just can't get this place out of her mind. Mm-hmm. So she even sees the man again in this house. She's not sure who he is, but she knows he's there. She sees him there and she brings it up to her landlady. Her landlady's like, I just walked up here. I just walked through that room you were talking about. Nobody's fucking there. I don't know what you're talking about. 
You're just seeing things. These old houses, they creak and anything can be hiding in any corner. Thanks, landlady. That makes me feel a whole lot better. Well, no, she said that because she's saying, don't scare me like that. Yeah, because uh-huh. anyone, anything can happen in a corner. Like, these corners are all over the place and you're freaking me out. Right. So she goes to the church that she's going to work at and she meets the minister. And he's kind of put out when she says, I don't care about church at all. But, you know... Still, her music makes everyone stop and listen because right. she's so amazing. And he even suggests that she should, you know, they should have a reception and you should meet the congregation. And she refuses. She's like, nah, I'm really not interested. Mm-hmm. And he waves it off. You're right, because she she does such a great job. Mm-hmm. And they continue on about their day listening to her play music when she's playing for them for the first time. And then he's going to take her back to her house And she goes, will you be driving by the carnival? And he says, absolutely. And if you want to, we can stop and take a look at it. She says, great. They go. And she's like, can we go inside? Because they're out at the gate. And he's like, my goodness, no. It isn't safe out there. Yeah. And she asks him twice after he said that, can we go out there? Can we go out there? Like a little fucking kid. And then finally, he's just like, it's against the law. I'm a minister. No. Right. And she's just like, well, then I guess I'll come out here later by myself. Would you take me out there? (laughs) No. The law has placed it off limits. Wouldn't be very seemly for a minister to break the law, would it? No. Maybe I can come back some other time. And he, like, gives her this look like you just told me you're going to break the law. Right, yeah. (laughs) So then uh, the dude who lives down the hall from her... John Linden. ...will not take no for an answer. So he's only ever been in two things. He's been in this, and he was in the 1998 remake. And that is it. I don't know why. I thought he did a great job. He was a fantastic character. And... He should have been in more, but the character is a fucking creep. Yeah, he's super creepy. So the first time she meets him is when she's taking a bath, like we talked about with the baths. And he even looks through the keyhole to like see her change. Right. And when he knocks and goes to open the door, or she says, you know, come in, Miss whatever her name is, Mrs. Thomas, which is a landlady's name. And he tries the door and it's locked and she's like, oh, give me a second. And then she puts on her robe and then she opens the door and it's him. She's like, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. I thought you were the landlady. And he's like, yeah, that's what I figured when you called me by her name. And it's like, and you didn't say anything. Yeah, no, he's a bastard. He's a fucking creep. Yeah. And obviously so. And every single interaction until eventually they do go out on a date together is trying to get her to go out with him. And it's funny because he tells all these stories about how he's an idiot. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why should I be interested in you? Yeah, he, yeah, he's an idiot. He's a jerk. He's obnoxious. Yeah, he sucks. He's way too forward. And like in a scary way. Mm-hmm. Like you'd expect him to snap at any minute and hit you kind of way. Yeah, exactly. It's So I think the dude... Played him very, very well, but the character is awful. Um, then when she sees the man, like, in the stairwell, like you were saying, there's yeah. some zooms, which are great. Yes, those great 60s zooms. Mm-hmm. And there's some slow looking around, and uh, the music goes along with her movements. I don't know if you noticed that. I did not, know When she would move, it would go, 
No, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, every that. time she moved, it would do the music with her. They did a lot of interesting things with this movie, and that's not to say that this movie is like, oh my god, it's so amazing. But it just it was trying a lot yeah. of new things. There's a really interesting shot that I'll talk about when we get to it, but that's a little bit later. And I don't think she realizes that it's happening, but around this moment, she has like everything gets really quiet. And she calls out to somebody and nobody answers in the house. It's like she's alone and that's when she finds the man. And then she runs into the landlady and starts talking to her. This comes back again when she goes out shopping. She tells John, I'm going to spend the day shopping. You go to work or whatever and I'll go shopping. And there's this weird conversation about getting adjustments to the dress. And then she goes and she tries it on. And then she leaves with the dress and it comes out to the lady who was attending her and throws it on the rack and says, I'm going to get this. And the lady doesn't respond. Mm -hmm. And she's like, "Um, hello? And the lady turns around, looks right past her, gestures to somebody off camera and walks away. She's like, that's weird. And she talks to somebody next to her and it's like, did you see that? She didn't even notice me. And then that lady doesn't notice her either. And that's when she notices that she can't hear anything Mm -hmm. and nobody seems to be able to hear her either which is a really creepy effect yeah and when she's like walking around outside all you can hear are her footsteps yes so eventually she makes it like through the street and gets to a park and she's at a at a drinking fountain and and a shadow looms over her and she looks up and it's the man and she freaks out and then we see it's just some old dude who was obviously a citizen in this town. They got a lot of citizen actors to play a lot of roles in this. And she runs into some dude. And this is so remarkable to me. It's a really weird interaction. She's running and screaming. And the dude's like, there's nothing here to be afraid of. And he stops her physically. He stops her. She's freaking out. And she's like, let me go. This man's there. And he's like. No, there's not. It's just this guy, and he's totally fine. And the dude's like, I was just getting a drink of water. I didn't mean any harm. I just stopped to get a drink. And he's like, there's nothing wrong. And she's like, let go of me. I got to go. And he won't let her go. Like, he refuses to let her go. He's like, you're freaking out. You're doing something wrong. I cannot let you proceed. Now, look, look, you've had a fright. Hysteria won't solve anything. Now control yourself. It's this really weird sort of like domineering scene. It it rubbed me the wrong way a little bit, but I can see how like as a part of its time, it might not have seemed very weird. Yeah. Because we find out that he's a doctor. I didn't find out until later. He's just a fucking medical doctor. Because he kind of passes himself off as a psychiatrist. Yeah, he's like, I'm a doctor. Come into my office and let's talk this out. And she's like, oh, okay. Because she thinks she's going crazy. Only later do we find out he's just a fucking medical doctor. (laughs) (laughs) They go into his office and he has his back turned to her in one of those high back chairs. And he's writing all the stuff. Oh, sorry, I had my back turned to you. I have to write all this stuff the down. The whole time he was sitting there with his back turned, I thought he was going to turn around and it was going to be the man. Yeah. And so she's talking about it to him. And <laughs> on Wikipedia, it says, he tries to help her, comma, even as he acknowledges he is not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychiatrist, and, and perhaps I'm being clumsy at all this. 
But I am suggesting that perhaps this figure represents a guilt feeling. Oh, that's ridiculous. What the fuck is the point of that? Why is that in this movie? So she tells him everything. I was very surprised. She says everything that's happened to her. He's she a doctor. She talks about the accident. She talks about seeing the 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 man. She talks about the 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 weird silence and how nobody can recognize her and he tries to I'd for, even forget what kind of solution he comes up with. I think he says that she needs to go to the carnival. She says, "Yes. The time is now." And <laughs> she goes. <laughs> oh. It is so good. So she goes to the carnival and she enters through like this tunnel, like one of those tunnels that kind of spins while you walk through it. It yeah. felt very much like uh-huh. she's going through a portal into another world. Yep. You may recognize that from any time you go to the fair or from Greece. I recognize that from Greece. I think of Greece every time I see one of those. <laughs> and she walks through these, uh, you know, the, the 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 things that look like giant punching bags that are tied to the floor and ceiling and you got to push through the them. banging barrels. Is that what they're called? I don't know. But that's what I've always thought. Like, would, would you call them? Banging barrels. Banging barrels. Because they bang together and they're like giant barrels. Yeah. Yeah. And she gets through them totally fine. And it's not until after she's through that they bang together. Yeah. I thought that that was pretty interesting. And we get shots of the man in shallow water. Mm-hmm. He's laying on his back. We just see his face. But she doesn't see him, which she I does thought not was see weird. Him. No. She looks over into the water, but she doesn't actually see him. Then she comes across a slide where, like, a mattress comes down all by itself. I mean, I guess that's just supposed to be creepy, but it's also strange. It's like, like why did that happen? Wh- How did you not? Yeah, uh-huh, <laughs> totally. It's it's really weird. But this whole time, it's like it's like really quiet except for these noises. Well, it would be. It's I know, but you don't normally get that in a movie, right? Like, it's it just evokes this really ominous sense. And... And she's got the crazy wide eyes, like I said, and she looks very dazed. Uh-huh. And then she comes across the dance area. Yeah, there's like a dance hall here. Where a ton of dead people, just like the man we've described, are dancing really, really fast, and then they slow down, and then it goes pitch black. Is that how the scene ends? Because uh, I know she sees that when she plays the organ. So is that- Oh, does she see it twice? Does she see anything when she actually goes? I think she actually, I think she sees dead people dancing and then she ends up leaving and then, yeah, and then later when she's doing the organ, then she sees them going really fast, then slow, and yeah. then they go into pitch dark. And while she's playing the organ during this scene, she's going along with it and the music is becoming fast and- And um, discordant and really bizarre. And that's when- the minister comes in, he hears her playing the organ because she's practicing. She hasn't even played for the congregation yet, really. And, Devil's music! Yeah, and he fucking freaks because she's not playing like traditional church music and the first time. And he's like, it's profane and I, I must insist that you resign. Profane, sacrilege, what are you playing in this church? Have you no respect? Do you feel no reverence? And I feel sorry for you and your lack of soul. This organ, 
the music of this church, these things have meaning and significance to us. I assume they did to you. But without this awareness, I'm afraid you cannot be our organist. In conscience, I must ask you to resign. He's like, he's going to fire her right then and there. He even says you have no soul. I wrote that down. So we'll talk about it a little bit later. But he straight up accuses her of not having a soul. And she plays a little weird. Have you no soul? It's it's very bizarre. And then when she goes to leave, he's like, wait, I'm not turning my back on you. The Lord loves everyone. You could still come to church. And then she just you just must resign because you have no soul. But come to church, please. That does not mean that I am abandoning you. Nor should you turn your back on the church. There is help here, and I urge you to accept it. Yeah, and, and after she leaves, he, like, looks down like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah. I had one job, and I fucked it up. <laughs> so she had agreed to go out with Lyndon, John Lyndon, earlier because he just wore her down, and eventually she was like, I don't want to be alone. Fine. Exactly. You can meet me after I get out of work when he I'm He said, practicing. I'll take you home so you don't have to go home alone. And she's like, oh, I don't, yeah, I don't want to go home alone. Right. So – She gets fired and she leaves and that puts her in a foul mood for their date. So they go out to this bar and he is just a fucking dick. Now, granted, she's a bad date, but he is a fucking douchebag Mm -hmm. this entire time. And he will not give it a rest about how bad a date it is. And she gives he gives her a guilt trip about it and everything. And like it made me like super fucking mad. (laughs) Yeah, he he gets angry because she won't drink. Uh-huh. He gets angry because she won't dance. Um, he gets angry because she won't get close. And then, like, she'll be nice to him, and then she won't. She'll be nice to him, and then she won't. And that, it drives him insane. Like, he gets... Yeah. He gets to the point of, like, crazy, but he keeps saying, well, maybe you just want to be left alone. No, no, no. I don't want to be left alone. He knows that, and he recognizes yeah, that, so he, he uses it against dropping her. That. Yeah, it's – I wrote down, like, this is my comment about the dude. Jesus, this dude is a fucking creep. Yeah. Why don't you thaw out, hmm? But maybe you want to be alone, huh? I'll leave no, you alone no, if that's no, what you I, want. I, I, I like being with you. Really, I do. I don't want to be alone tonight. And then when they get back to their apartment, he's like, you don't want to be alone, do you? Right. And now he uses that to get into her room. So now he's in her room. But then she sees the man. And so she screams. And he's like, hey, wait a minute. What's wrong with you? Yeah, I don't need a chick who's off a rocker. But he Mm -hmm. says something to the effect of that. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm out of here. She's nuts, I tell you. And so he just leaves. And so she goes to Dr. Samuel's office again and tells him about the shit that just keeps happening to her. And he's got his back turned to her again. And when he turns around this time, it's the man, which was so fucking cool. And I said I was expecting that the first time. Yeah. So when they did it this time, I wasn't. Exactly. But I feel like this is where a lot of, I mean, I'm sure other movies have done this before that, but like, that seems like it's pretty early on to make, to do a fake out like that. Yeah. And then she turns to the camera. 
She's turning away from him, but she's still sitting down. And she puts, like, her hands on the side of her head and screams as the shot, like, kind of zooms in on her. Uh-huh. And then it cuts to a different scene. That might be kind of one of those, those shots kinds that you of refer things, to. Yes, there's a lot of those. Yeah, to her in her car again. Mm-hmm. I wrote down, that was great. But should it count as a fake scare? Because it didn't really happen, and it and it was a jump scare, kind of. Like, should I be up? Like, should I not think that that was great after how much I railed on the other movie? No, I don't think so because this, this is one of those movies that was trying new things. This was one of the first ones that did stuff like that. Yeah. So it was new at the time. It wasn't cliche yet, I right? Guess. Yeah, that's a good point. I will give it credit for that. I just thought it did a lot of really cool things, like you said earlier. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So she's in her car again. She has to go get her car fixed. Yes. Because it starts making weird noises. And they allowed her to sit in it while it was being put up. Wouldn't that make it heavy? I mean, that car is like pure steel. That thing had to weigh, what, like a ton or two? Her 120-pound frame is not going to do anything to that. It's just dangerous, liability-wise. They probably shouldn't have done that. So then when she's sitting inside the garage... She sees this shadow mm-hmm. from under the door, which I thought was great. And whenever re- reality alters quite a bit in this movie, and when they do, like it went, like in the department store, it has this like ripple effect. Yeah, if you've seen Wayne's World, it's the doodaloo, doodaloo, doodaloo effect. Yes. <laughs> so when it does that, it's like she goes into another realm. Yeah, but it's specifically like a ripple, like a drop in water. Yes, and. I saw something here, but I couldn't find a version that actually showed this. But apparently in the original, in those scenes, they would tint it like a blue as kind of like an homage to silent films. And we've seen a bunch of those and we know that that's like outside at night kind of thing, you know, and they'd use color to show you different locations and times and set a mood. So kind of the same thing here, but I'm just kind of bummed I couldn't find a single version that actually did that. So, but when that happens, all the sound goes away again. She's left by herself again, so she runs to get on a train, but she can't because nobody can hear her. So then she goes to the bus station. She tries to get a bus, and she goes, I need the eastbound bus, and no one's listening. And then all of a sudden, over the loudspeaker, it says, Eastbound bus, now loading, gate nine. And she rushes to get on it. And everyone on the bus, they are the ghouls that she's been seeing. Yes. And so she freaks out. And they walk up towards her and they're laughing and stuff and she runs away. Yes. And she um, wakes up again. At the same tree with a, with a bird, which you didn't mention earlier. It, it starts with a bird sound both times. Oh, okay. That signals that we're back, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Uh, but she dreamed the sequence again, at, at, at least. Oh, that's weird. But she dreamed the sequence again. And she's determined at this point. So she goes back to the pavilion because she is she keeps getting drawn to this. And these ghouls that she sees are obviously attached to this pavilion in some way. And she keeps envisioning them there. And so she goes back and she does actually see them there in the dance hall. And they're all dancing, and then she sees, and I wasn't quite sure I read this right. 
like visually. So I looked it up and I was right. She sees the man dancing with the ghoul version of her. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty neat. And yeah. so she freaks out and they all kind of turn on her. Mm-hmm. And they chase her and she's running. And then there's kind of a silly scene where everywhere she goes, they pop out of places, including one where the man is like behind a shrubbery that he's holding up in front of him and he pushes it to the side. He's like, it's kind of like a boo kind of moment. It's really kind of silly and Scooby-Doo like. I hated the scene where they're all running at the camera. Yeah. Because it's very clear that the camera's in the middle. And so they move to dodge it. They have to go to the side. uh And then some of the people, I think people that were having a little too much fun being extras, went like this Oh, as they went by the camera, like, like waved their hands by it. Yeah. And that looked pretty silly. Yeah. So they chase her out there and she's running on on these flats and... As she eventually falls down and they surround her and crowd her and reach into her. And we cut to looking instead of the ghouls, it's the priest, the minister and the doctor and the sheriff. And they know she went out there and they can see her tracks and only her tracks going to that exact spot where she obviously fell down and there are handprints in the sand. But that's it. And she's gone. She's just gone. And then so cut to a river. The river. Ah, we found Oldsmobile or whatever they said. And they they drag it up. And all three women are in the front seat of the car, including our girl, Mary. Mm Mm-hmm. The end. That was kind of cool. It was like a long episode of The Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was very interesting. I, It's a little confusing. I get that it's supposed to be like, oh, she's caught between the two worlds. But it's like... Yes. So these people were interacting with this girl who's dead. And it's like, if these people ever spoke to one another, what would they come up with? <laughs> like, what would their... Like, so, I th- I mean, I think physically she was there. Right. She was a she body without been. a soul. Yes. And she managed to get separated from the, from her soul when she died and she was in the river. Right. And so her body came back up and it was animated, but she was soulless, like we say. That's why throughout the movie she's very standoffish. She wants to be alone and she doesn't care about church, which you're supposed to care about. <laughs> and everyone's really shocked about that. Mm-hmm. But she's also kind of going insane because she has this connection to the world of the dead. And that's why she's seeing all the all these people, all these ghouls, including the man, who's basically trying to track her down and following her everywhere because she's not where she should be. Mm-hmm. And so they finally find her and they take her back mm-hmm. effectively. And they reunite her soul and her body, but of course that means she's dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, John, the neighbor, even describes her as cold. The priest accuses her directly of having no soul. Mm-hmm. Of having no soul. She used to be full of life, but now she's not. She's an organist by trade. Sorry, we're going into lightning round here, I realize. She's an organist by trade. Organs and churches. There's a connection there, obviously, Mm -hmm. but organ music is also connected to like old timey fairs, like on merry-go-rounds and other things. They play fair organ when she goes to the pavilion 
and she plays the organ as the souls dance. So there's this connection between the places uh, that's kind of uh, extra textual, I guess. So the movie was uh, really, really cheap. The writer and the director both didn't take a salary in order to make the movie. And I can't get a clear indication of how much it is. Some places say 17000 Some places say in the 30000s. But still, that's really fucking cheap for a movie. And the actual on-set crew at any given point was just Herc Harvey and five other people. Hmm. And this was the only movie that Herc Harvey ever made. Wow. Yeah. Which is really weird. Probably because the movie just fucking bombed big time. It was a huge failure. But it was a cult success after the fact. They would play it on TV. Mm-hmm. And now it's like a hugely influential film in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like this sort of psychological horror was not what horror movies really were back then. Especially in 1962. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they were either spooky, creepy or you'd get a psycho, which, you know, is a little bit more intense. Mm-hmm. This is like kind of slow and meandering and you don't know what's going on. And like I say, it's like an extra long episode of The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. But it's not as solid as Twilight Zone is. Twilight Zone is moralistic. It You know exactly what the twist is and it's supposed to teach you a lesson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This doesn't do that, and the twist isn't exactly clear, which is unusual. There's a lot to really kind of interpret. And I think it's pretty simple by today's standards. You and I just talked about it in a couple of sentences back and forth about, like, what's actually going on in the movie. The point of it all, maybe it's to teach you to value those things that come with the soul, having a human connection, I never sort think of about it that way. I just thought of it as just a good psychological horror. Sure, but does it have something to say? But that's not really the point <laughs> because that's what The Twilight Zone did. And this is not doing that. I'm just expressing how it's different, even though it's like The Twilight Zone. It's not just, you know, oh, he's just doing The Twilight Zone, but a movie, you know. It's, uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. Now, let's talk about The Pavilion. Just briefly. So it was built on the Great Salt Lake in Utah. It's called the Salt Air Amusement Park. And it ended up actually burning down in, again, I can't get a clear indication here. Was it the late 60s or early 70s? Can't get a straight response. I think it was the late 60s, 67. They rebuilt it in the 1980s. And then the 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 lake flooded. The water level rose and flooded the place out. Uh, They reopened it and remodeled it in the early 90s. And now it's used for like musical performances and stuff like that. But it exists right now in the Great Salt Lake. So I've probably seen it because I've been to the Great Salt Lake. I just don't remember. You just had no idea? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Also, we should probably – we get a lot of clues that she's dead, obviously. Mm Mm-hmm. We talk about all the indications that she has no soul. She was in that car accident and she was and going back to the original ripple that shows us. Yes. So the thing I was going to talk about is that she was underwater for three hours. I was going to go back to that. She's obviously dead right away. She's dead. Yes. But as you say, throughout the movie, whenever she has these sort of breakdowns, 
the effect is a water ripple taking us back to specifically the river and the flooded flats, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting. I think. Mm-hmm. All right, Kelsey, what do you think the movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to say 88. 85%. No general consensus, because obviously Rotten Tomatoes wasn't around at the time, so they could only work with certain reviews. <laughs> do you think it's overrated or underrated? Be slightly overrated. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit hard to pinpoint exactly what it had influences on and what it may have been influenced by. But you can just tell that it, it, it influenced is. a lot of things. It really did. So it obviously deserves a pretty big rating, but not 85, you don't think? I think I'd give it a 78. Yeah, I was like, I want to give it an 80, but an 80 felt maybe a little too high. It suffers from... I mean, I don't even think it's that. Is it? How long is it? Just shy of an hour and a half. Yeah, like it an feels hour and a little bit longer minutes. than that. Yeah, it's a little slow. Yeah, it meanders. And you, you can just tell that it was made by an amateur filmmaker. Yes. Like I said, I love that he tried new things. He did a lot of interesting things. I thought that the ghouls were pretty creepy looking. Yeah. I, you know, it was an interesting movie. It's just not. It needed a lot of help. If it had had some, I think if we remade it today, it'd be great, which is funny because apparently there is a remake, which I was not aware of. I knew that there was a really terrible remake, but I thought it was older than it was. If I had known it was in 1998, we totally could have watched it because that would mean that it's in the 20 year period. But I said really early on, I think in our first episode, if we do a double feature, it doesn't have to necessarily stick to that rule. Whatever. I also heard that it was terrible, so... Yes. Doesn't matter, though. The movie that we're about to do, secondly, is also terrible. (laughs) Oh, we'll get there. Uh, Apparently, she tried to get a sequel made in the 80s, and the producer decided instead of doing a sequel, they do a remake, and that's when the 1998 remake came out. And she did not get to participate. Kind of shitty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you say 78. I, I I think it has a lot of style, but you're right. There's a lot of really bad acting in this. And acting that like, like the landlady who I think she probably thinks. She strikes me as one of those people that probably always wanted to be an actress or would or would think that they're a great actor. Uh, and so they kind of go a little bit overboard when they finally get their opportunity. She strikes me as one of those types. Well, the doctor is way over the top, too. Yeah. Hysteria won't help anyone. There are three characters I like in this movie as far as acting goes. Okay. It's Mary. I actually like her. John. She looks crazy the yes. whole fucking time. And she's she's very pretty, I gotta say, <laughs> in a very unique way. I mean, I get it. That's what her character's supposed to be feeling, but it's just like, right. just always giant eyes and like, ah, what? Right. What is happening? Uh, that shot of her, ah, when she's in the doctor's <laughs> office. It's so great. John is fantastic. I thought he did a great job, and I can't believe he's never been in anything else other than the remake. And the man. The director? He was the director. He didn't have to do much. But I thought he was great, except for that behind the bush 
moment where she's breathing easy. And all of a sudden, the bush moves and he's like, boo. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that was 1962's Carnival of Souls. Before we move on to our next movie, Kelsey Slash Cards. Name one horror film in which a nail gun is used as a weapon. Evil Dead. Yeah. Not the Evil Dead, but Evil Dead. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to know what movie they give as an example? I'm trying to think of. There are a lot of movies that use nail guns as a weapon. What's their example? Nail Gun Massacre. Okay, I think you're going to like this one then. Okay. Very similar to the question you asked. Okay. But a little bit different. Name one horror movie in which a bed kills someone. Nightmare on Elm Street. That is the example that they use when Johnny Depp gets murdered by a bed. Yep. Maybe that could happen in real life. <laughs> I'm really surprised they didn't use the example of the 1977 classic deathbed, the bed that eats. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so good. Maybe someday we can watch that. Perhaps. Deathbed, which is a great pun. Yep. The bed that eats. Just to clarify, it's not about somebody who just happens to die in a bed. Well, doesn't... It's about a literal bed that eats. There's also a movie called Rubber, which is about a tire that kills people. There's and all sorts Stephen of these movies. Stephen King have a whole story about, like, inanimate objects eating people. <laughs> he has Maximum Overdrive, where inanimate objects come to life because a comet passes overhead. That's where the trucks keep those people locked in a gas station. And there's one truck that has the Green Goblin's face on it inexplicably. <laughs> anyway. Next up is 2010's Closed for the Season, written and directed by Jay Wolfel and starring Amy Brooks, Damien Maffei, and Joe Unger, also known by the name Carnival of Fear. In the UK, this movie is available for free on Amazon. Cannot stress enough, if you decide to watch this movie, do, do not pay for it. <laughs> I literally told my friends, if you ever find yourself high and with nothing to do, consider watching Closed for the Season. I'm not even going to ask you if people should watch this. This movie f is f god awful. Yes, it is. It's awful. I multiple times in the movie turned to Kelsey and said, what did you do? <laughs> and it's so long. It's so long. Never ends. And we'll get into that. I would like to talk about this. I think it's a problem that a lot of stories and movies have. And I pinned down in words exactly why I, I, I figured out. I'm like, oh, that's why. And then looking to see if I could find an example of it. There's an incredibly obvious, probably really famous example of this. So we'll talk about that when we're done talking about the movie. Ah, please do not watch this movie unless you are drunk or high. Or on acid. That would count as high. Uh. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Just do not. It feels like an acid trip. And if you're It makes no sense. <laughs> and be responsible. If you're gonna do something like that, don't We're not endorsing you do drugs right? as a joke. <laughs> kind of. It's kind of a joke. Kind of a little bit 
serious. I've never maybe even done this acid, intoxicated. but from what I have heard, <laughs> this is an acid trip. I have no idea what acid is like, but this is what I imagine it would be like. What is the premise of the movie? I realize there is no premise. <laughs> There's no story. This is the weirdest movie. Okay, okay, okay. There's no way, except to just say that I guess a carnival is alive and it wants people even though it's closed and it never will open again. It's been forgotten and it wants to actually be appreciated is effectively what's going on in Close for the Season. Here is the IMDb. Where did these people come from? It never tells you. Here is the IMDb premise. Trapped in a forgotten amusement park, a young woman, Christy, finds herself terrorized by the living memories of the park. She must break free from the park's grasp before she becomes its next victim. Which is incorrect. Yeah, we'll talk about it, Kelsey. Damn it. You have... I was about to say you have to see this movie. (laughs) You don't. Okay, thank you. Thank you for... You saved me there. (laughs) There are parts of it that are, like, just plain batshit. And hilarious and bizarre and off the rails. And if you're already watching it, you can just enjoy those parts. Because it's just like, well, I'm already sitting through this piece of shit. I might as well enjoy myself. Because there are moments that are just like, what just happened? I don't know. There is a very long, single paragraph, no paragraph breaks, (laughs) multiple page length plot synopsis on IMDb for this movie. (laughs) I don't know how we're going to get through the description of what happens in this movie. I don't think we should try. I think okay, we okay. Just do our notes. All right. Listen, listen to the trailer, assuming one exists for this movie, and then we'll talk about it. Don't watch this movie unless you are intoxicated and be prepared for it to still be mind-bogglingly boring. <laughs> Even though... The craziest shit happens. (laughs) There are some fantastic lines in this movie as well. We'll get to that. 2010's close for the season. We'll be right back. The story of a girl who wakes up in an abandoned car in an empty park, doesn't know how she got there, and then has giants and monsters chasing her. Well, that's a good story if you like that kind of thing, but real... I don't think we're going to be able to get out of here. I don't think so either. Let's go on all the rides, do all the things we can. What bring this place back to life? Live out the stories to kill them off, so to speak. What makes you think you can kill me? Do you really think that fighting and struggling will save you? Alright, so I want to start this by... Going over our four characters, because there are four. And I thought it would be easiest to kind of tell their whole... Oh my god, you're right. There are literally four characters. Mm -hmm. It's a two-hour movie with four characters. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) So I thought it would be best to start with kind of each of their character arcs, who they are, why they're there, what happens to them in the end. Okay. So, the first kid we are introduced to ends up being the least important of the four. Right. What the fuck is that about? (laughs) 
It's really stupid. I'm just going to say he goes on a ride when it's closed and no one's there. And this dude is there who's being a dick to him and throws him off of the fucking roller coaster. And all of this is in really bad CG. Like, really? Okay. I don't think you understand what we mean when we say CG. (laughs) Literally everything except the two people on screen and the car is CG. The sky, the clouds, the trees, the tracks, everything is CG. And it's incredibly bad. Like, think Taiwanese news report CG. (laughs) Anyway, so then he falls, and he falls through a tree. Okay, so... Literally, he's in the car, and then the dude who's in the back of the car gets out of his seat, climbs forward, sits next to him, and he's like, this is a lot of fun! And then he grabs him, hoists him up above his head, and just kind of tosses him, and we see a lifeless mannequin float by the screen. (laughs) Yes! It's a mannequin, and it's hilarious. So obvious. And gets impaled by this tree. This little sapling, I guess. I don't know. Continue. So, um, uh, this sounds interesting. It's not. It sounds like you have to see this. It's not. You don't have to see this. I cannot stress it enough. So, I guess as an adult, he's he somehow survived. Yes, it severed his spine, and, and he's in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And dude says, "I'm sorry, kid." The dude who's running the roller coaster says, "I'm sorry, kid." But this is the most goddamn amazing thing I've ever seen. <laughs> he does. I'm sorry, kid. But this is the most goddamn amazing thing I've ever seen. I'm just sort of transfixed by the sight of it. Yes, this movie, okay, if nothing else, this movie has great one-liners. It, it, it's <laughs> got tons of them. Anyway, he ends up being the best friend of our, of our like, last character that we meet, who ends up being the main character Okay, of the film. Kelsey, who do you mean by he? The guy who gets ran through the tree um, as an adult is now in a wheelchair. And he's also, he's also the guy who picks him up and throws him out of the train. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He's the same person. That's just him grown up. That's the tenor of dreamlike quality you should expect. The nonsense throughout this because, entire movie. Because, now that they did explain. Well, because he did it himself. Yeah, he did it himself. Like, they kept telling him, keep this bar down. And he's like, oh, I don't need this down. And then he, but they don't explain how he falls out. They just cut to, again, a lifeless doll being thrown out. Yes, it still doesn't make any damn sense. No. <laughs> Even if he got the thing up, it's not like this is a loopy roller coaster. <laughs> he just somehow falls out. But anyway. And the, li- wait, the line that the older self says when he does it. Is you were right. It's a lot scarier up here. Woo! And then he hoists him up and throws him out of the out of the the car. Yeah. So like his whole life, he's told people that there was this random person who, who threw him out. Well, yeah. actually, no. The story we see, the audience, it's a random person ends up being him and as a, as a fucking adult. Uh huh. What the story is that he tells everyone is that it was this um, carny. Yeah. Who will become very important. Anyway. And that's not confusing in the least either. <laughs> so this guy who went through the tree 
ends up being the best friend of the last character we meet, who, like I said, becomes ends up being, like, the most important character, kind of, in my opinion. So this other kid we see, like, trying to burn shit. He was best friends with him as a child. Yeah. And the kid who got put into the wheelchair was always trying to get him to do stupid shit. But because they were best friends, he did it. Right? And at one point, like, we see the kid trying to light... Oh. And the movie will go back and forth with them being adults and children. Yes. Just constantly. Yes. So at one point, as a child, he's trying to light something on fire, and the carny who I was just talking about says, hey, how would you like it if some if somebody tried to set your house on fire? And they so all they, run away. They run away to home, and their homes are on fire. Which ends up not being true. Uh, no, it does. No. He lit... The he tried to light the the fair on fire. Yes, but instead he just burned himself alive. <laughs> That's what they. Explained. No, he burned alive in the house. Inside, he, the dude couldn't save him because oh. because his he was in a wheelchair. The dude in the wheelchair couldn't save the best friend. See, guys, this is a very confusing. It's movie. a very confusing movie. There's no possible way to really follow it unless you were to sit there and write it all down and, like, make all the timelines make sense. But from what I understood, he tried to burn down the carnival but was unsuccessful and killed himself. Yeah, but that no, the house thing actually happened, I think. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyway. Yeah, it really doesn't. So we find out that this character is dead. <laughs> we don't find that out until the until very the end, end of the movie. Yes, but he's been dead the whole time. Right, which is funny because we're kind of under the impression that the other two characters have been dead the whole time. Yes. And they haven't been. They're totally alive. So then there's Is Christy also- alive? Yes. I don't remember. <laughs> yes, she is. So then there's this chick who lost a teddy bear at one point and went back to get it. And then the carny scared her. The carny scared her away, back into her car with her parents, but then the next shot we see is her as an adult getting out of a crashed car. So we're like, oh, did she die? Apparently not. And we never get clarification of why, she's why she was there, what? why she was in this car. Nothing. Nothing. We get nothing. So, and this whole time we thought she was dead. She's totally not. She's totally alive. Um, anyway, then there's this whole story about the bear and how as a child, the reason it meant so much to her was because she was a very lonely little girl. And, and our dead boy. The dead, the boy who died, won it and left it with the carny saying, hey, give this to that girl. Uh-huh. And he does. And then. It means a lot to her. It means a lot to her. And then when she's at like the picnic area, he, the friend tells him, hey, now steal it just to fuck with her. And so she gets really sad and she thinks that, like, you know. And then the whole movie is just tons of her. And, yes, we get her talking to herself several times as a different character, as through the fucking loudspeaker, like, in her mind. Like, it's bizarre. Anyway, like, throughout the film, they allude to this idea that she runs away from her problems and that she doesn't know how to face anything. And she's alone and sad. But that leads to nowhere. I guess it's an al- like not an allegory. It's like a parallel to the carnival being sad and lonely. But that goes nowhere. I guess it's so fucked up. Okay, 
So then there's the carny who we get a bunch of different backstories for. Um, he is the carny. He's not the carny. He's the clown. He's not the clown. He's a drunk guy. He's not the drunk guy. Like it just it it goes back and forth. He's the ghost character. When they need a spooky character to haunt the place, it's him. What I think in the end he's supposed to be, he's supposed to be the spirit of the carnival. Yes. But that's never really made clear because, and that they do that on purpose. He even says it, like, throughout. Like, there's this one part where um, when the dead guy and the girl meet up with the carny and he keeps taking them from area to area to area um, with no, like, it's not like they walked anywhere. They're just suddenly in a new place. Yeah. He even says... None of this is real. You're right. And I have no explanation. But basically. it's basically the carnival wants to be experienced one last time. And so they have to go around and they have to experience everything. For some reason, and it's all dumb. It is all dumb. Shall we talk about the each of the areas? We will in a second. Okay. For some reason, and we'll get to this, they focus on the the carousel. Not the carousel. On the Ferris wheel. Ferris wheel. And we'll talk about all the different areas uh, in a second. But it just wants to be experienced one last time. And then it is. And then the movie's over. <laughs> but but again, I can't stress this enough. It's 111 minutes. <laughs> and it's awful. I know it sounds kind of quirky and fun the way we're describing it. For your own sanity, don't watch this movie. I feel really bad. When I was writing down, I wrote down in my notes, oh, my God, these kids are so bad acting, right? And my very next note is, oh, no, they're all bad. <laughs> and I feel really bad about saying that it's that it's bad acting. I feel like the main characters were doing their best. You even said that at one point. I did write down dudes doing an admirable job with an awful script. Yeah. And I wrote down, I mean... Maybe awful's harsh, but I will explain about how it's awful later. So there is, like we said, there's a bunch of different areas that they go to. There's the rides, which they end up at the Ferris wheel. It's where they end. There, uh, There's the creature from the Black Lagoon, which I guess was like a, a show? It was like a freak show kind of thing, but it's just a dude in a rubber suit. But because she believed in it as a child, it comes to life. Yes, okay. That's that's true. They're scared of things in the carnival from when they were kids. And when they think about the things they were scared of, those things manifest and scare them again. The alligator. Yes. Oh, my God. They talk about all the alligators. There and they're was trying an alligator to get out. area as well. Yeah. And they're trying to get out. And dude's like climbing through the fence. And as soon as he gets out, a fake as fuck alligator bites him on the leg and then rips his leg off. It is hysterical. And then, but it didn't actually happen. It did not. She saw it, and he's like, what the fuck are you freaking out for? And she's like, oh, God. And she pulls him back in, and he's like, what'd you pull me back in for? They could have gotten out of the carnival right there, and they don't. Right. I'd just like to point that out. The movie is full of this stuff. It establishes multiple times, multiple times None of these threats are real. They're all in your mind. Just ignore them and nothing bad's going to happen. But throughout the course of the movie, that continues to be the only threat is the shit in their minds through the whole movie. Never once 
Is there a single, actual, real, credible threat? Yet, they continue to be scared every single time. And we're supposed to be scared too? Movie you've told us multiple times. We should not be scared of this stuff. Yeah. It's just in their heads. That's not a twist. They say it after it happens the second time. <laughs> yes, there's that. There's uh, He tells a story about how like mobsters used to like bury people here. In the swamp area or whatever. And so then there are mobsters. Oh, they go on the ferry. They go in the, f- in the ferry? Yeah, remember there's a ferry and he takes the Marys and they're like, oh, look how pretty it is. And then, oh, we're up back on land. Oh, right. The, the, the carny is like, you're right. None of this exists. Shouldn't it be daytime right now? And then cut to air and they fall into the water. Yep. Not in a really cool inventive way. You could tell from their arc, they obviously jumped from like a dock or a boat <laughs> or something like that. Just out of camera. It's really bad. There's a part where they go to like where the clowns put on a show. That was kind of cool. Okay, so there's Wackles, Hackles, and Cackles are the names of the clowns. Sad clown, happy clown, and laughing clown. And they're like musicians. I liked them. I liked them. They were kind of weird. I liked them. They never talk. Yeah, they stare at them and they're creepy. And they just kind of hang around with the carny who's also at this point dressed like a clown. And he has a pretty interesting poem. That he reads. Do you have it written down? No, it's way too long. It's super long. It's super long. You're right. And this is the part where they're walking through images in the air. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's one of those that you might see on a TV show that's making fun of it. (laughs) Like, they're walking, and obviously they're, like... They're supposed to be seeing something, but there's really nothing there. And we can see like box images like they didn't even do a good job of fading out the edges or or cutting, trimming the photo around particular objects. It's literally just like photographs flying through the air and they're like looking around and pointing. Ah, Oh, it makes me so angry just thinking about it. Um, What did you do? There's the fun house that they have to go through. With the mirrors and all that. And reaching in your hand into the into the dark box and experiencing what's in there. Oh, it's eyeballs. Oh, it's a rat's tail. And but it's, it's actually a real, a real rat. rat. And like at one point, like he puts his hand in and there's almost a, he almost, he almost touches like a broken glass, but he doesn't. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. Exactly. And he, they keep trying. There's only three of these, <laughs> but they do it like six times. <laughs> But there's only, there's obviously, demonstrably, you can look at it, there are only three holes. But they keep going back to that. I forget what area it is that they're not, she was told not to go to. Yeah, because they were like the scary bad people, and so she imagines scary bad people. A biker gang. A biker gang. Who who, rape her! Yes. Oh my god! I mean, it's, they both all have their clothes on, so it's... Sexual assault, at least. But it's implied that they're raping her. Yes! Yes! Because people new to the genre think that it's necessary. Yes, I we, we I, every episode now we're talking about how how much of a crutch this is, mm-hmm. and in this movie especially, it's unnecessary. And then she's like watching it happen to herself. Like yeah. I said, there there's several times where they talk to themselves and they see themselves everywhere. Yeah. Oh oh oh! 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I should have brought this up early, but I'm looking at my notes now. No, we're not doing this in any order. Listeners, this is not in order because no, there is no so way not. to there, bring it, it, it into it'd be order. Pointless. It'd be pointless. So, do you guys remember when we were watching Red Clover and... No! Cool dude, Billy Zane. Listen to your friend, Billy Zane. He's a cool dude. He's trying to help you out. Tells the story about how he lost his wife in a Black Friday shopping incident. She wasn't killed. She just disappeared. And it was the most batshit what the fuck moment. And it almost justified watching that bad movie. This is a line of the, the dead kid who we don't know is dead at this point. He says to our main character, all I remember is when we got home, both our houses were on fire and Dirk's parents were killed. <laughs> all I remember is when we got home, both our houses were on fire and Dirk's parents were killed. I, wrote, I literally wrote down here. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> it's just out of nowhere. It's like it goes from the carny said. Man, how would you like somebody to burn down your house? And he freaked us out, so we ran home. And, I mean, one thing led to another, and all I remember is when we got home, both of our houses were on fire and Dirk's parents were killed. <laughs> what? Yes. I'm sorry, go back? <laughs> and he says it so flippantly just like that. It's hilarious. Oh, and there's also this weird giant general who would... Who would Hang the bodies of his enemies in the trees. <laughs> To warn people. About what? I guess I don't know. And eventually that's how they get rid of the carny, the soul of this carnival who's tormenting them, is she like, she does an it before it, and she like shoves a pole in his eye and then his mouth after doing the dunk tank for some fucking reason. And all the tension is around whether she's going to hit the dunk tank or not. This is when they're playing the game. Yeah, this is, this is the ultimate, like... Um, what's the term? Uh, climax kind of moment, really, is, is she gonna hit the thing? Which, it's not figuring something out. It's just if the rider decides she hits it or not. So there's no tension whatsoever. She misses. But it bounces off a tree, hits the carny in the head, and he falls in anyway. And then she says, that's what I meant to do this whole time. Right. And then she, like, shoves a pipe into his eye, which she could have done... Literally at any time. I don't know why he needed to be in the dunk tank for her to do this. And then she like does it in his mouth and then they hang his body from the tree. Yep. But before that, there's the breaking the plates game. And it's it's straight out of uh, Hook where they oh, have yeah, to, they have have to, to believe, believe that it's there or they won't win the game. <laughs> that sound you're hearing is me slapping myself in the face and head because I cannot believe this is happening. There is a there's another character who does die. <laughs> the construction worker. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> so, she's sitting in the car and one of the first things that happens to her when she wakes up inside this dilapidated car is the car turns on and it chases after her and she's like, "Oh." And then she sees headlights again, but it's a it's it's like a plow tractor, right? Yeah. And a construction dude gets out of it and he like chases her off. You He's know, trying to tell her it's dangerous in here, but yes. she's too too afraid to listen. 
Yes. So he holds up a sign that says, like, you're not allowed here because it's dangerous. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he goes, ah. <laughs> and he just kind of falls over and gets run over by the plow. And it is amazing. They show, oh, they you show the, the whole thing. thing. <laughs> and it's so body obviously fake. And it's so awesome. <laughs> There's several moments when she's running away from things before she meets the dude where she screams at it. It's, it's, it's getting to a point where they're surrounding her and they're almost going to get her. And she screams, stop, please stop. And then it stops. There's that old trope that happens a couple times in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's her story. She's like, I remember the first time I came here. I was in line and a lady with a cigarette burned my cheek. Yeah. And that lady pops up like three times for no reason. Yes, for no reason. I didn't know who it was. Yeah, Kelsey had to remind me. I didn't even know. This lady smoking a cigarette just pops up. And the reason she has a connection to this carnival, apparently, is because she left her 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 doll there, at her bear, and her parents bring her back the next day, and they can't get in because it's literally closed down. They were like, we were just here yesterday. And the carny's like, well, yeah, yesterday was the last day. And they're like, wait, what? Why? And... She kind of sneaks in to get her bear, and that's when she gets spooked by the carny dude dressed as a clown, and there's no explanation why that's important, why that matters, because we think maybe she died there. Nope, she didn't. We also find out that the carny isn't the fucking carny! <laughs> because we find out that the car that she woke up in is the car that he fell asleep in and died, <laughs> and so they left it there... As a memorial. As a memorial, and they put a plaque with a picture of him on it, and it's a picture of somebody else. Why? Kelsey! What the fuck? Um, so I think we should go through just some quick lines. Okay. When the clown is telling her, like, oh, you know, this place is... Oh, I guess we can finish it. So it ends at the fucking Ferris wheel. And ghost people show up Okay, 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 it. okay. So, <laughs> earlier on in the movie... Okay, I'm going to get to a line, Kelsey. I'm sorry, I know we were going to do lines, but then you want to do the, the Ferris wheel. But I have to say this. Okay. So, at one point, they t they get to... A, the roller coaster, and they argue about what it's called. Is it called the 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 freaky cat or the crazy mouse or whatever? And they have the stupidest fucking argument. <laughs> and she says, "Don't argue with me." As they're climbing through the rafter area, they're on the ground, but they're climbing through all the planks and everything. She says, "Don't argue about this with me." And he says, "What else do I have to do? We certainly can't ride this fuck fucker licking thing." <laughs> Well, what else do I have to do? We certainly can't ride this fuck, fucker, rickin' thing. That was in the movie. Yes, it was. And then she falls. Ah! Oh, and he catches her, but he falls too. And they get twisted around in midair. And when they land, he's on top of her. There's that cliche. And she's like, are you, are, now do you see why they call it the mad cat? No! No! <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> So anyway, they make a, we find out, the point of this is, we find out 
that they cannot ride the roller coaster. So they can just skip it. But then when it comes to the Ferris wheel, she must ride the Ferris wheel. It's broken. It doesn't work. But she must ride the Ferris wheel. Well, then what about the fucking roller coaster? What? The logic doesn't make any sense because it's just whatever the fucking rider wanted to ride at the time. (laughs) And and a dude. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Carney shows up as a regular person. It's just a guy. Who's the same actor as the Carney we've been seeing this whole time. But mind you, not the real Carney, who we never actually see in the movie. Shows up with a truck and a trailer. And on the back of a trailer is a Ferris wheel. He's going to go put up. a fair that's down the street. a fair that's down the street. And he's like, ah, I saw the lights on or whatever. And I thought this was the place. I thought you were waving me down when she runs away from him or whatever. And she's like, here's hundreds of dollars that I have in my pockets for some reason. Can you just set it up and let me ride? And so he's like, fuck it, fine. And he sets it up and he lets her ride. And the other dude gets in too. And they talk and they have this really heartfelt talk. And they scream at the crippled boy who he's there. He's been there this whole day. And we don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> Never interacts with them. And she yells at him, you fucking suck, cripple. <laughs> and because he's a dick. He's a dick. And, and you know, they laugh and they come to terms with, with the fact, all the bad things in their life, I guess. And when she gets down to the bottom and she gets out, dude's not in the cart anymore. And she's like, what happened to the dude? And he's like, what are you talking about? I never talked to no dude. I never saw no dude. And you realize he literally never talked to this guy. And he got in when the guy's back was turned. So the dude never saw him and he literally never existed. And that's when the ki- the dude in the wheelchair says, oh, yeah, that's because he's dead. Yes. Oh, you were talking about what's his face? How would you know anything about him? He died mm-hmm. in that fire. So he was never an adult. Even though he's an adult ghost. (laughs) While they were up in the Ferris wheel, he told the story about how they stole the bear and it's been in his house ever since. So she goes to the ruins of his old house and she finds the bear and she she like it brings her peace or whatever. And then they go. She goes back to where the dude was and the Ferris wheels going and there's a long line. She's like, what the fuck is going on? And he's like, I don't know where they're all coming from. And then they kind of like smile and laugh and wonder. And then that's the end of the movie. <laughs> I'm going to repeat. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> if you build it, they will come. Yeah. If you set it up for a couple hundred bucks, they will come. Mm-hmm. I guess because it's people appreciating the carnival again, that's what it's all about. It's about the joy and the magic we feel of going to the fair, which ties into why we're watching this fucking movie, because Kelsey loves the fair and it's fair week. (laughs) Multiple times I wrote down things like, why is this movie still going? All caps, exclamation point, question mark. There's literally no danger. I love this carny. I can't write down all my comments. We'd be here all day. (laughs) Dude goes on a rant about how everything is bullshit. And it's 40 minutes into the movie. And this is crazy. 
We're on a boat that can't float talking to some dead clown who's giving us psychedelic nostalgia mumbo jumbo bullshit. We have another hour and hour and 11. Wait, sorry. Yeah, we have another hour and 11 minutes to go. Anyway, so here's some lines. Okay. So, like I said, the clown gives this whole speech about, you know, like, oh, this place isn't supposed to be alone, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, you're right. Don't people know how to have fun anymore? (laughs) There's an amazing line here. They argue for a while about stories being real. There's a, your story, never his story. It's real, but it's not, and blah, blah, blah. And it is fucking nonsense, and it means nothing, and the carney says stories are the only truth that can still be experienced. <laughs> All stories tell the truth. But it's just words, not facts. Your story stopped being real the moment you met James, and your story became his story. Or a few minutes ago when you first saw me, that's just a story now. It's not still happening. It does here. Things keep happening here. Whether they happen once or can never happen again, they are real here. It's not real! There's nothing alive here except stories. After something happens, that's all there is. The stories are the only truth that can still be experienced. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) I think I get his point. I think the point that he's saying is that stories are the only thing we can experience about the past. Right. Because the past is gone, it's we can't relive it. It's the only truth we know. It's the only truth we have. Yeah. Okay, great. But is that the point of the story? I mean, kind of, because <laughs> through, throughout the, the movie, it's all about them believing things, and then that ma- that makes it real. But I thought the movie was about the carnival and about experiencing the carnival and how it it gets lonely if people don't love it. Like, what's the point of the movie? At one point, the carny says, you laid the nail on the head, mine, and then they cut to him and he has a giant nail sticking out of his head for no goddamn reason. <laughs> <laughs> We're only 40 minutes in. Where does this go? I wrote down. There's the scene, like Chris said, when they fall in the water and when she gets out, she says, now I know why they call it cold reality. Have you ever heard that term before in your life? She brings it up again. It comes up again. She says it again. Do you know how many people, how long it would take to put up that Ferris wheel? Not one dude, certainly. Uh, When the Cardi gives her the bear... He goes, secret admirers are the best kind. Are they? Yeah, that comes up like two or three times that line is repeated. It's better to have a secret admirer than it is to have a real relationship. So there's this whole thing with the bear the entire fucking time, right? The entire movie. There's this thing with the bear and we see the bear and it keeps coming up and it's the entire fucking movie. And this dude sees it. It's not until the Ferris wheel that he mentions, oh yeah, I had that in my house and it's been there this entire time. Why didn't you say anything? (laughs) Why did it even matter that he gave her the bear? And here I wrote down, the writer-director was 48. We forgot about the golfing scene. It's also another hook 
moment where they have to imagine that they're really there or yeah. they can't win. They try to hit him. Both try to hit him with the golf club. And both times he disappears, then comes back. <laughs> Why? And Why is this in the movie? So he goes to putt, and instead of putting, he swings at the dude, and the dude disappears, right? And then so she goes, oh, let me give it a try. And she thinks she's fooling the carny somehow, I think. And she tries the same thing, and he disappears again. It's like a fucking course. I wrote down here, wait, at the end, this is at, after the movie's over. Wait, what about the construction guy? We saw his hand, so he actually died. He actually was a real person. And he died. And he actually died. He got run over by a haunted <laughs> plow thing. And we the lesson we learn is that none of this is real and it's all bullshit. Dude rants about it 40 minutes into the movie. But apparently that was real and killed this real guy. Why? <laughs> oh, because he was pl- he was going to knock the place down. Mm. That was right. That's why. Oh my god, this movie is secretly genius. <laughs> At one point, the dude steps on the bear and it like bleeds. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of that weird shit. The 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 biker version of Christy like crushes it yeah. and 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 it bleeds. <laughs> I don't know why this beer bleeds so much. It, when he steps on it, the guy's like, the carney's like, oh, you brute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you brute. Oh, well. So good. Oh, that was so good. There's a single frame. <laughs> They're talking to the carney clown. And for a single frame in between cuts, you see the clown band again. I don't think it's subliminal. I just think when they were editing it in Premiere Pro or Final Cut, they didn't cut in the right spot and they left that one frame of the fucking clown band. Heezy Weezy and Deezy or whatever they're called. Chuckles, Wuckles, and Fuckles. What are their names? Hold on. Cackles, Wackles. And Cackles. No, I said Cackles. Wackles, Hackles, and Cackles, yeah. Ah. <laughs> So when they're playing the uh, breaking of the plates game, they have this weird back and forth where he's like, what do I get if he loses? And he's like, I'll take your hand. And she goes, you've got two of your own. Why make it so serious? And he takes out a hand and he says, I could always use a third. And then he shows like what he would use it for. And he like grabs her boob and he like picks his nose (laughs) and shit. And it's just like, what is going on? Oh, my God. This has, I hate to use this term because I used to watch CinemaSins a lot and I fucking hate it now. I made that sharp turn. I realized how, like, awful it is. And here I am talking about how shitty a movie is. But really, we'll talk about, like, I'm being hyperbolic for a lot of this. We'll talk seriously in a moment about what's wrong with the movie. But... It does have the Prometheus school of running away from things, mm-hmm. which is a term that comes from CinemaSins. Uh, TV Tropes refers to it as one-dimensional thinking, where she's running away from this car, and it happens like twice. Three one, times. Three times. And they just run directly in front of it. Like it's an alligator. You know how you're supposed to run away from alligators by running directly in front because they can't <laughs> see in front of themselves? It's like that. It's like you could just go to the left or right at any time and be perfectly safe, but they don't. There's also a point where they see themselves running away and then the car blows up. Yeah, they get in the car and then the car blows up. They also imagine that they went back to her house and they made out for a little bit and then they just both passed out 
in the middle of making out, and then they wake up and they're back in the, in the carnival. <laughs> no explanation. No reason hilarious. why. No reason why. No sooner do they talk about how they shouldn't think about scary shit, right? Because they figure out after two things happen. I forget something. Ha- he sees something happen to her, and she sees the alligator take his leg off, and they're like, "Okay, it's not real." None of it actually happens. We both saw something. So when we remember the scary shit that we think about when we were kids, bad stuff happens and it just scares us. So just don't think about scary shit. The immediate next conversation is, hey, remember the lake monster? I'm going to go looking for him. So I think that's it for me. This movie, guys, it. There, there's so much. There is so much random shit that happens in this movie. I think we need to end it here where we could ca- talk about this for yes. hours. And it is not worth talking about for hours. This Absolutely movie is not. awful. This movie is bizarre and nuts and makes no sense. So I think I figured out how to explain my issue with the story and how it's told. Okay. It's a real common one, and you can p- apply this to a lot of problem stories. If you think there's something wrong with the story, odds are it's something like this. Harry Potter succumbs to it a lot of the time. I'm just saying. The issue is, therefore, but, versus, and then. <laughs> and then storytelling is what gives a story like an aimless and amateurish feel. If you peel it back all the way, it's the same way a three-year-old tells a story. And then, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. Exciting things happen, but why? Ultimately, if if something cool happens with a story or you do something cool, it still feels unearned and nonsensical. And then storytelling is a component or potential contributor to a lot of other iffy story constructions like deus ex machina or straight line narratives. Sure. The story kind of like escalates, but what's really changed. Has anyone learned anything? Is anyone doing anything for any reason? Where did that thing even come from? And okay, but why (laughs) that last question is when I screamed in my head and out loud through this entire movie. Okay. But why often, as in this movie, and then storytelling results in your entire plot just being a series of things that happen to your protagonists, usually with absolutely zero real impact to them or the overall arc, depriving them of both agency and opportunity for growth. I was looking it up to see somebody's written about this, surely. I didn't talk about it, but the alternative is the therefore but. The reason I didn't really get into that is because Trey Parker and Matt Stone, of all people, they did a great job of describing this concept to an NYU class on on an MTVU show called Stand In. And Trey Parker describes it. We can take these beats, which are basically the beats of your outline. And if the words and then belong between those beats, you're f***ed. Basically, you got you got something pretty boring. What should happen between every beat that you've written down is either the word therefore or but. And then Matt Stone has another great example of what it's like to watch 
and and then story. Yeah. You see movies that you're just watching. It's like this happened, and then this happens, and then this happens. That's when you're in a movie, just going, "What the f- am I watching this movie yeah. for?" And just <laughs> yeah. like this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. That's not a movie, you know. That's not a story. If you have that feeling, it's probably an and then story, and that's exactly what this is. Mm-hmm. This movie is a series of things happening, and then another thing happens, and then another thing happens, and then another thing happens. That's why 40 minutes into the movie, I thought, well, the movie is over. Now what do they do for the next hour and 11 minutes? Well, things just keep kind of happening, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then. There are practically, not completely, but practically zero therefores or buts. (laughs) And it drove me insane, and it wasn't until I remembered this concept of therefore but versus and then that it finally dawned on me what was driving me so fucking crazy about this movie. (laughs) I can deal with the fact that there's bad acting. I can deal with the fact that it's low budget. I can deal with the fact that a lot of it even seems kind of lazy. If it was at least interesting, (laughs) and of all the crazy-ass shit that happens in the movie, (laughs) none of it's interesting. Because not only... Not only did they tell us multiple times and really early on that none of this is real and you should not be afraid of any of it, but on top of that, it's all arranged in such a way that there's no reason any of it happens in any order. We broke it down just by going through all the random shit we could think of off of our notes because that's kind of what it's like experiencing this movie. Mm -hmm. It is a garbage movie. Mm -hmm. That said, what do you think it's Rotten Tomato score is. It doesn't have one. It has an audience score. It does. Just an audience score. Six. Seven. <laughs> what would you give it? I'm going to give it a 13. I was going to say 10. Because it was awful on every possible account. I obviously were, feel things about it, there right? There were times when I was having a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was just like, I'm kind of excited to see what happens next. Right. But even then, it was like, oh, and what happens next is incredibly boring. That's the problem, is the shit that happened was so left field, but executed, like, just so boring. True. So boring. But it is not X-Ray. No. And it is not lesbian vampire angels. Lifeblood. Lifeblood. <laughs> There's at least 10% of value to this movie as far as I'm concerned. Yes. 13 according to Kelsey. Yes. I just, it just kept, (laughs) it kept surprising me, which is good. I was legitimately surprised when the carny was not the carny. (laughs) But it was pointless. It just kept coming up with shit out of nowhere. That's <laughs> yes. like that. That's literally, you could tell, you could see the author, director, composer, editor, his hand at work in everything that happened. I say it that way because that's all the same person, the same 48-year-old. <laughs> Putting this movie together like, okay, now what next? Okay, now what cool thing can I do? Okay, now what cool thing can I do? Okay, what scary thing can happen if he's going through the gate? Oh, an alligator can bite his leg off. And the creature from the Black Lagoon attacks him. And like at, like it's similar to it where just like random stuff happens to these people because of the fears that they had when they were kids, right? Yeah. But in it, 
It's real. <laughs> and there is a reason. This has none of that. Please don't watch this unless you're inebriated. Mm -hmm. And even then, be prepared to be bored. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kelsey. That was 2010's close for the season. How is fair week going for you? I want to go to the fair. <laughs> I love you. And for that reason, we will go to the fair. Yay! What are we watching next week, though? I think you're going to be really excited. I am really elevated. My energy is super high right now. Oh, good. But you're going to be really excited when you hear this. Because next week is Haunted Things Week. We're going to watch Christine. Yes! And Oculus. Yes! It's a good week. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> oh, fuck. No, seriously. Our buddy Bob, who wrestling fans may know, I won't get into it. <laughs> and horror, garbage horror movie fans may know, because he's played the voice of the ginger dead man, not in the original movies. But so he's worked for Full Moon before. <laughs> uh, he said he wanted to watch Christine with us. I don't over know. On if Sunday, it, I don't know if there's gonna be an opportunity for him to watch it and record with us. We'll figure it out. All right, so we may have a guest. I guess I'll know by Sunday, so I can edit this out if we don't have him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Our first guest, Woo! horror movie icon. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so next week we are watching Christine, a legitimately awesome Stephen King adaptation. Well, we love it. I don't know if that that like directed gets, by gets a legit <laughs> directed by John Carpenter, director of Halloween. So exciting, and Oculus, which is a movie that fucking everyone slept on. It's not. The best movie in the world, but I really enjoyed it, and I know I Kelsey it. did too. Yeah, um, I'm just gonna say it right now. Watch both. Yeah, go ahead and watch both. It's a good week next week. Yeah, very good week. All right, until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com, where you can browse all of our episodes and a list of every movie we have ever had on the show. Leave a comment, share your thoughts on these movies, or even recommend one or two for us to cover in a future episode. Please do, because we listen. You can also email us at podcemetery at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your podcatcher of choice because, guys, that really, really, really helps us out. The only thing that is more meaningful to us than you guys rating, reviewing, subscribing, sharing with friends is that you listen to us in the first place. So thank you very, very much for that. Until next week. I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. Kelsey, do you have any parting words of wisdom to share with the audience? Don't worry. You'll live. That's what's horrible about it. I don't want to live my life To the sacred place To see a dream I can't escape Molding some fangs That are picking up bones
Did I get worked up enough? <laughs> it's really bad. It's a movie. <laughs> I don't know how it got made. Our character, Jesus, we haven't said her name yet. Oh, I ain't one to make a fuss about something like that. This is the most goddamn amazing thing I've ever seen. They try to hit him. Both try to hit him with the golf uh, stick. The golf club. Heezy Weezy and Deezy or whatever they're called. Chuckles, Wuckles, and Fuckles. What are their names? <laughs> 